0: Well, we're continuing our series in First Peter, so if you have a Bible, please turn with me to First Peter chapter five. That's also gonna be in our worship folder. Um, and actually, just to start our, our time together in God's word, what we're gonna do, in just a moment, I'll ask everybody to stand. We're gonna uh, just read through God's word. I'll read that out, but because of the importance of just this last phrase, if you're already there in the text in First Peter chapter five, this last phrase, it says, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we're thinking through humility in the life of the church. So what I'm gonna ask us to do is I'm gonna read through this passage and when we get to that last phrase, we're gonna all read that together as a church because it's so important for us as we look to God's word. So why don't we stand together as we hear God's word. Starting in verse one. So I exhort the elders among you, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. Pray that you'd help us to come to it humbly, to receive it, to listen to it, to be fed by it, uh, and help us to listen today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, my wife uh, knows very well that uh, I am not any good at puzzles. Um, it's probably because I just get really easily frustrated. And I find that it's easy to get those edges around in, in a puzzle. But often I come across a, a piece and I'm just wondering where in the world does this fit? Why, why is this piece here? So we just read that passage in First Peter chapter 5. And if First Peter were a puzzle of all the passages that we've gone through together this summer. We would come to chapter 5 and really ask ourselves, in a sense, why, why is this here? Where does it fit within what we've talked about this summer? I mean, last week, Pastor Stringer, he talked about chapter 4, uh, verse 19. If you look there, it's a, it's a great summary, in a sense, of the whole book. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That seems like a great ending. That seems like a great way to encapsulate this book where we've talked about suffering. We've talked about suffering and pursuing holiness amidst that. We've talked about being subject to the authorities, even unjust authorities. The fiery trials, the refining discipline that happens amongst the church. So why, why talk about elders? Why is this here? Well, we get some clues with, with our context. Get some clues with the first word of our passage. We get a few clues with the passage that came right before us and the passage that comes right after us. It says so, right? This first word, so, meaning therefore. What, what, what's he referring to is, is going back to chapter 4, verse 17. If you look there, it says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Verse 12, there's, there's fiery trials that the church is going through. Chapter 5, verse 8, it says that... Um, The devil is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So all around God's people, externally, there are non-Christians who are causing suffering. The devil is trying to bring down God's people. And even internally, there's sin that that God's people is, is wrestling with and they're under the refining discipline of God. Judgment is coming to the household of God in a way to purify it, refine it. And as we're not going to turn to these passages, but in Old Testament passages like Ezekiel 9 or Malachi 3, it, it points us to this reality that when God is, is refining and purifying his people, where does that judgment, that refinement start? It starts with the elders, it starts with the church leadership. See, God has provided church leadership for his people to lead them, to care for them, to love them, to protect them. Through these fiery trials, through the suffering that, ex- that they're experiencing, from the external and from the internal, even within their own hearts and their own sin. So we think about this passage, and at first it looks like, why, why is this here? Why is he starting to talk about elders? But in reality, it fits perfectly. It's a perfect piece to the puzzle of, of First Peter. In our passage, it speaks to the means of grace that humble leadership is for the church. It speaks to the heavy mantle, the heavy weight of church leadership within the church of God's people. It speaks to how the church, how we together are to respond to church leadership and also how we're to respond to one another. Hebrews 13, I'll read this verse, it says, "...obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account." I read through the story of a, a church, and elder was giving an, a, an account of a woman in their church who came to their church, and he described her as somebody who had a rebellious and, and loose lifestyle. Um, but as she encountered the church, she, she made a profession of faith. She started to get integrated into the life of the church, but, but very quickly, she went back to her old habits. She went back to her old ways, and she started to ab- abandon the church. She started to leave the church and and was nowhere to be found, but her name continued to come up on the roll, on the list of those who were in the church, but she was far gone. But a few years later, uh, she comes back on the doorsteps of the church, um, and um, she's actually close to her, her death. And some of the elders, the leadership of that church, they, they sat down with her. And as uh, one of the pastors, or excuse me, one of the elders described, they said, You know what? We, we didn't really know how this woman stood before God, to use the words that they said. And then he says this He says, She will have to stand before the judgment seat to give an account for her life. But before that same throne, the under shepherds, the elders and pastors, will have to give account. For this one lost sheep. Church leadership, it's it's not a light thing at all. They're gonna have to give an account before God for how they shepherd the flock. And the reality is, the church needs faithful and humble leadership to care, to protect, to love, to guide, to lead, and to help prepare the church to meet their Creator. So what does faithful, humble leadership look like? What does it look like for the church to respond to that leadership? What does it look like for the church to interact and respond to one another? Well, our passage is gonna be very clear that the distinctive marker of all of those roles of the leadership and of the relationships in the church is humility, is humility within the life of the church. So we're gonna look at three things. First, it's humility in Peter's example. And then secondly, we're going to look at humility in church leadership. And we're going to end with humility in all relationships in the church. So in these verses, they're, they're spoken to the elders, described as overseers, described as shepherds, as shepherds as, as we read out. And in our context, the shepherding role, overseeing role, it's, it's found in the, the pastors and the non-vocational elders within our midst who are taking on this responsibility and this role. And Peter's speaking in the form of an exhortation, a charge to the church here. So let's look at verse 1 as we see our first point of humility in Peter's example. Says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter, he's calling for this faithful, humble leadership. And here we have we we see his own very tone as one who takes on humility. You know, we're not going to look there, but at chapter one, verse one, he describes himself as an apostle. An apostle speaking to this church. But here, how is he describing himself? He describes himself as a fellow elder. He's coming alongside them and saying, hey, I'm right there with you. I'm a fellow elder right there alongside you. He's, he's in a sense putting himself on their level and he's practicing what he's preaching to them by approaching them humbly as a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ as a partaker in the glory that they too also will receive. So he's practicing what he's preaching, but also Peter is an example of God's transforming grace. Think about Peter for a moment. When Christ was there, when he was alongside Christ, he was a very bold man. He was ready to follow Jesus to the ends of the earth, but toward the end of Jesus' ministry and his life, where do we find Peter? We find Peter before a servant girl, Denying Jesus three times. Peter walks away racked with guilt and fear and filled with tears because he, he betrayed Jesus and his master dies on the cross. But after the resurrection, Peter meets Jesus and has one of the most beautiful breakfasts there probably ever was. Where he and some of the disciples sit there with the resurrected Lord, the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know this conversation between Jesus and Peter. Jesus looks at Peter and Jesus says this. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, yes, Lord, you you, you know I love you. Jesus looks at him and says very tenderly, feed my lambs. He says, Peter, Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, You, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. And then Jesus says a third time, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. We have Jesus restoring and redeeming Peter here. Jesus turning a sinner and transforming him into somebody who will serve the king and serve God. You know, here's a man, a fellow elder who knows failure, And yet he also knows the grace and the love and the transforming power of Jesus Christ. He knows his need for the Savior as he leads the church as an elder. You know, the love and the grace of Jesus, it propels sinners into service for Christ. That's true for the leadership of the church, but I also think it's true for the Christian life is that God's grace, God's love is so powerful, so transforming that it can take any sinner and transform them into somebody who can serve the king. And here we have a humble example of Peter coming alongside the leadership of a church and saying, hey, I'm a fellow elder. I'm one who knows the grace and love of Jesus, who needs the grace and love of Jesus Christ. We see this humility in Peter's example So with that framework, he moves right into his exhortation in verses two through four. Humility, calling for humility in church leadership. Let's read those verses out again. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So humility in church leadership. What's what's the responsibility of church leadership? What's to shepherd God's flock, to exercise oversight over God's flock? I have a friend in, in Texas who's a rancher. And he uh, he came up to visit a few months ago and he was telling me a little bit about his work and he pulls out his phone and he shows me this picture uh, of a calf, one of one of his calves. But it was actually a very sad picture because um, a coyote had come and killed and basically devoured uh, this, this little calf. And as I was thinking about that, he was kind of really torn up by that and, and beat up by that. And I was thinking, okay, I, I, I get that. I mean, this is down the road, this is going to be profit for him, and he's, he's losing profit, right, with this calf that, that was uh, devoured by a coyote, but then he started to continue to speak, and the reality is finances and profit didn't come out of his mouth at all, but what he said is, you know what, this calf, this happened under my watch, you know, I, I, I'm, my responsibility is to raise up this this cattle, to raise up this, this calf, and And this cattle, this calf was was devoured. How much more is that for for God's people, for the leadership in the church? That the leadership is not there just to make sure programs keep running, but the leadership of the church is to care for people's souls. That's what we see here is to shepherd the flock. We won't turn there but you can just listen to these verses from Ezekiel 34 describing in the Old Testament times a specific time where some of the leaders how they were acting and treating God's people it says shepherds of Israel who've been feeding yourselves should not shepherds feed the sheep you eat the fat you clothe yourselves with wool you slaughter the fat ones but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. This, this is not what God has called the leadership of the church, the shepherds, how they're supposed to treat and care for the flock. You know, in 1 Peter 5, God's shepherds, they're to know The flock. They're to feed the flock. They're to lead the flock. They're to protect the flock. You know, those four categories, they come from uh, a man named Timothy Whitmer he reflected on this shepherd theme throughout the Bible. You know, God's shepherds over in the leadership of the church, they're to know the flock personally and relationally, to know the needs of the flock, to find out how they can best care for the flock. You know, godly shepherds, they need to feed the flock. How do they feed the flock? With God's word. You know, we all, we need the word of God. And so the leadership of the church, God has established to feed the church his word through discipleship, through teaching, through preaching, through conversations where God's word enters into. But also, godly shepherds are those who, who lead the flock, giving vision, giving direction giving leadership of where the church is going to go, but also to lead the flock by way of example, showing what it means to, to follow after Christ as one who knows repentance and trust in Christ. Godly shepherds also are called to protect the flock helping the church to fight sin, protecting them against sin, protecting them against the cultural wolves of our day that are trying to devour and tear down uh, those in our midst. And so they can also shepherd the flock by protecting through church discipline as well. These are all means and responsibilities of those who are in the leadership of our church. It's not a selfish, prideful feeding of themselves But it's a humble, careful, knowing the flock, feeding the flock, leading the flock, and protecting the flock. Many of you know the the Puritan pastor Richard Baxter, familiar name, and in one of his books describing his ministry, he writes about the, the nature of shepherd oversight, and I'm just gonna read some of his headings from his book. It says, we must labor for the conversion of the unconverted. Second, we must give advice to those who are under the conviction of sin. We must study to build up those in the flock. We must exercise careful oversight of families. We must be diligent to visit the sick. We must be faithful in reproving and admonishing offenders. And we must be careful in exercising church discipline. This was Richard Baxter's description of how to shepherd the flock, knowing them, leading them, guiding them, and protecting them. And you know how he did that? He did that bi-weekly, year after year, every week, visiting 16 families within his midst, shepherding them, caring for them, teaching them God's word and feeding them God's word. Amazing. Now, the reality is Richard Baxter, he was an amazing shepherd, but even Richard Baxter was not a perfect shepherd. All shepherds, all of us, need to first come to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, need to follow the chief shepherd. So the call for the leadership of all churches and even college church is to first to follow the chief shepherd, to be led by him, to be served by him at the cross and trusting in him, to recognize their need for the chief shepherd. So godly shepherds, not only do they know the flock and lead and protect, but they also repent of their sin. They trust in Christ alone for salvation and they look to Jesus Christ's humble example by going to the cross. A godly shepherd is first a sheep, one who is led by the chief shepherd, Christ. You know, earthly shepherds will fail but there's only one shepherd who will not fail. That's Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. So we have this responsibility, this weight, this mantle of church leadership But this next few verses, he talks about the heart of church leadership. The heart of church leadership. And he goes through these three examples. He says, hey, it's not this, but it's this. It's not this, but it's this. It's it's willingly, not doing it out of compulsion. It's eagerly not doing it for shameful gain. It's being an example to the flock, not domineering over them. I thought of this call for shepherds to do this willingly and I was reminded of this quote and I'll read it out. It says, suppose a husband asks his wife if he must kiss her goodnight. Her answer is, you must, but not that kind of must. What she means is this, unless a spontaneous affection for my person motivates you, your overtures are stripped of all moral value. So must the leaders of the church shepherd the flock they must (laughs) but not that kind of must if it's only out of a sense of duty the love and the care for the flock will start to dwindle will start to fade and everything will just become a simple checklist and some tasks and the love and care for the flock will start to disappear Shepherds need to shepherd willingly, not out of a sense of duty, but also eagerly, not for shameful, personal, prideful gain. You know, there were shepherds, just like Ezekiel 34, where we see those who are in that position of leadership doing it for themselves. Or to take the attitude from from the movie Jerry Maguire, what they're saying in their position is basically this. Show me the money, right? Show me the pulpit. Show me the place of authority and of power. Show me the numbers, right? That's why they're in leadership. That's why they're in this place because they want shameful or personal or prideful gain. But here, Peter says, no, 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 no. The heart of church leadership is one that is eagerly seeking the good of the flock, helping them to flourish and laying down my rights to put them above myself, so a willing heart, an eager heart, but also an example to the flock. Because the reality is, the leadership of the church is going to be under a microscope in a sense, is that people are looking to those in leadership. So, shepherds need to be ready to set the tone through their example, those in church leadership. Not, not for people to look at their lives and see perfection, and not for people to look at their lives to see fault but for people to look at their lives and see somebody who's following hard after Jesus Christ, somebody who's modeling repentance, somebody who's modeling humility, somebody who's modeling godly character and growth and grace. You know, growing up, my my brother, he's two years older than me, and we both love sports, and uh, he was very gracious, and he would invite me, his younger brother, two years younger, to play with him. And so think about this. A, A fifth grader playing with seventh graders or an 8th grader playing with 10th graders or a 10th grader playing with seniors in high school. You better believe I was, I was rubbing shoulders with guys who were much better than I was. <laughs> but that strengthened me in my abilities on the court. Is that those guys helped me through their example, through the way that they played as they made me a better basketball player. How much more is that in the church? That as people rub shoulders with the leadership of the church and their families and look to their examples, it's only going to strengthen and build up the body of Christ. Again, not looking to an example of perfection, but looking to an example of somebody who is growing in grace and growing in godliness by the power of God's Spirit. So shepherds, are you, are you ready to be an example to shepherd those in your flock you know, I think of uh, some of the, the elders in our midst who uh, meet with engaged couples or those who are newly married, just like Eric, right, like we heard, um, and they're, they're giving godly wisdom. They're setting a godly example of what it means to, to live in a, a faithful marriage to one another over years. I think of elders in our midst who are walking al- alongside people going through very difficult waters, but they're entering into that, giving up the time in their busy schedule to care for those people. Think of an elder in our midst who's inviting 80 high school students over to their house, inviting them into their life to just enjoy fellowship and grow together, being an example to these high school students. And think of leadership who's giving radically and generously above and beyond their means to support and care for the church. So by God's grace, in God's strength, the leadership of the church is called to set the tone, to set an example for the flock. So this is a, a heavy mantle. This is the heart of, of church leadership. And, and, and why would somebody pursue this if it's so heavy if, if they're called to this task? Well, it says in verse 4 it says, you know what? When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory, and that it's it's worth it. It is going somewhere, it is leading somewhere. So what are some applications from this section here? Well, elders, very clearly, like we've already talked about, shepherd the flock. Those who are in church leadership, shepherd the flock, exercise oversight. And it's it's not your flock. It says, shepherd God's flock. It is God's flock and God's people. Be examples for the flock. You know, as I've sat under this passage this week in, in preparation, thinking about what it's calling from me personally as a pastor of many high school students, I was convicted about my responsibility to shepherd these students. I was reminded, you know, I only have four years with these kids, these students, these young men, these young women. I have four years and it's my call, my responsibility to care for these students who are dealing and wrestling with depression. It's my responsibility to care for these students who are dealing with issues of purity or issues of pornography and help counsel them and point them to Christ. That it's my responsibility to, to celebrate with these students when they're celebrating. To grieve with these students when they're grieving. To feed them God's word week in and week out. And to disciple them with God's word. And I was reminded, I, I am a sheep. And, and I desperately need God's grace for this task. And this heavy mantle, this responsibility. I first need to be led by the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. That this is a heavy mantle. So, shepherds, are you ready to care for the flock? What about applications to the church? You know, it forces me to ask to to, to ask the church, how are you encouraging those who are in church leadership, your elders, your pastors? Are Are you speaking words of encouragement to them? Thankful for them, grateful for them? Are you praying for them, praying for their families, praying for their purity? Praying for them in the workplace as they're working nine to five and then coming to to lead the church in various capacities and ways. Are you praying for those in church leadership, praying for their humility and praying for them to see their need for Jesus? That's how we can respond to leadership in the church. Also, church, what what are you valuing in those who are in positions of church leadership? Are you valuing their status in the workplace? Are you valuing their status socially? Or are you valuing their growth in godliness and their humble example that they are seeking to set? Is that what you are looking for in those who are currently in church leadership and, and someday will be in church leadership? What, what, what are you valuing? And also I think uh, this is a call to, to men in our church, our midst who are aspiring to be elders, aspiring to be pastors. Is this the job description that you are going to and looking at As you desire to be a pastor and elder in leadership within the church. God gives grace for this task. So we come to our last verse, verse 5. Humility in all relationships within the church. I'm just going to read this out one more time. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble It's a call for for the church to come humbly under the leadership of the church. And for some who hear that, it's hard for them to understand how to do that because in reality, in the past, you've experienced Ezekiel 34 type leadership and shepherding, not 1 Peter 5 type leadership and shepherding. That's, That's not God's desire, Ezekiel 34. And I pray that God would restore your heart, refresh your heart, and you would look to 1 Peter 5 and say, that is God's desire for his people, for the church. And he would give you grace to come under the leadership even of this church. That's not a perfect leadership at all. At all. But would give the leadership of this church grace and those in our midst to see 1 Peter 5 and respond rightly. So we're to come under the leadership of the church. And, and you know what? This, this may mean for our church to let go at times of suspicion, Or frustration with the leadership of the church, and instead to insert trust, to insert encouragement towards those who are in church leadership. You know, it may mean letting go of personal preferences to follow and trust the leadership of the flock, leadership of those who are in our midst. You know, there are probably things in our church that are different or difficult to you, but submission to elders, submission to the church leadership. What it means is that, you know what, I'm letting go of my desire for my way to always win out. And instead, I want the good of the church to be up front. Letting go of my interests and my preference for the sake of the church. So coming under the leadership of the church, but also, he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with Humility. How do we do that? How do we foster that attitude? How do we foster that sense of humility in the church? Well, the church must be shaped by the humility and service first of Christ. Peter says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you think of a proud heart, what is a proud heart? A proud heart is one that trusts in themselves, that look to themselves. A humble heart is one that looks to God and puts their trust in God. So all of us need to clothe ourselves with humility in a sense by trusting Jesus not in ourselves what an amazing statement that is we look to Jesus as the one who came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many he did not retaliate when he experienced suffering but instead he went directly to the cross to give up his life to care for to love to lead the flock all of us are sheep of the chief shepherd And we need to be loved, we need to be served, we need to be cared for and protected and fed first by the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. That means daily, anew and afresh, trusting again in the leadership of the church, which is ultimately Jesus Christ. And putting our hope, putting our trust, putting our faith again in him each morning. That's the goal of of every morning for every Christian. That's the task It's not a new task, but it's again putting our faith, again putting our trust, again putting our hope and everything upon Christ. That's what it means to clothe ourselves with humility. And the fruit of that is maybe to ask yourself again, okay, how can I help the others around me to flourish and to grow? Or it may mean that I have to ask myself, who do I need to seek, uh, ask for forgiveness of somebody within our midst, reconcile with? That's clothing yourself with humility. Humility. Who do I need to, to, to seek out, let go of bitterness in my own heart? Friends, we need to come under the leadership of the church. We need to clothe ourselves with humility, but ultimately we all need to be led by Jesus, the chief shepherd, who humbly went to the cross for us to save us and to care for us and to feed us and to lead us. So I'm just gonna close with our passage that we started off our entire morning together, Philippians 2, because that gives us the picture of Jesus and what he did. It says this, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Amen, let's pray. God, we desperately need your help to live in humility in all the various relationships and leadership within this church. So I pray that you would help us to clothe ourselves as we look to Christ with humility, to care for one another. pray that we respond now with hearts of worship. In Christ's name we pray, amen.